Hello and welcome to another MLEX podcast. I'm Laurel Henning, a Sydney-based senior reporter for MLEX, and it's great to have your company. In today's podcast, we'll speak to both authors of our latest special report on future mobility, as technology developments for connected and automated cars intersect with policy areas as various as trade, competition and, of course, privacy. And I'll be starting with Shuan, our San Francisco-based senior reporter, who joins me now. So, Shuan, this is the latest in a series of reports that you and Jakob have put together for MLEX over the last couple of years on future mobility. What's new for our readers in this latest edition and what's brought us here? Um, Thanks, Laurel. So, yeah, I think we've been doing this for roughly two years now. And I would say um, we have come to a point where the coverage is more defined and narrowed down uh, compared to the beginning. Of course, it's built on MLEX's coverage of regulatory issues from the beginning. Um, and along the way, we kind of uh, identified the, the most relevant issues for this speed, but also uh, connected with MLEX's coverage in, in uh, regulation. And also we came to know um, some of the major developments that have been happening and we put more focus on on those, such as the uh, the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act. So that's in the trade area, and there have been a lot of back and forth between the U.S. and foreign go- governments, such as those from in the EU, Japan, and Germany, and South Korea. So yeah, when things like that happen and that that become a major issue, we will also uh, cover that. Okay, so really highlighting the overlapping areas of sort of policy interest here and how they link to this issue of future mobility. Um, You wrote in detail, Shuan, on the privacy concerns that surround the development of connected cars, as well as the potential for data disputes here. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yes. So we have, over the past two years, especially in the US, we have uh, started to see a lot of data issues emerging in this in automotive sector because of the development of connected vehicle technology. So connected vehicle technology refers to uh, technologies that is able to connect your car with, for example, a pedestrian or uh, infrastructure roadside facility in the way that you can communicate. The technology can also use uh, to provide connected uh, internet-based service in the car, such as infotainment services. And because of that, the, the cars today are collecting a huge amount of data. And I think that's why a lot of people are saying, calling them, uh, uh, their smartphones on, on wheels because of the size of the data they, they're collecting. But I think a lot of people are realizing there might be potential risks with all these data uh, the cars are collecting. That's built upon the experience we've had with smartphones and social network apps such as Facebook, uh, Google. Because if you are collecting a large amount of data, there's very very high risk that it might be abused. So in that area, we have uh, started to see some lawsuits, litigation that arise from data breaches suffered in the automotive sector. We have been covering uh, a lawsuit involving Volkswagen. In that case, one of its suppliers is a marketing vendor, uh, was kind of careless with the data that um, VW gave them. So the data was left exposed uh, for a period of time. 
but they were uh, sued in a California court. But recently, they've reached a settlement uh, in that case. So similarly, there's another case where uh, that involves a car data broker. I think you can call them that. It's called Autonomo. Um, so this company was accused of tracking uh, drivers' um, location without uh, obtaining consent. But it was sued under a California law about uh, illegal tracking. Um, so at this stage, a judge in California basically dismissed the lawsuit, saying that uh, because the car is collecting the data using a built-in telematics system, it does not fall into the 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 jurisdiction of law, which only governs the the practice of tracking someone using an attached device. So examples like that are the kind of cases that we we cover, and another type of case. Uh, involve companies that supply uh, software or even hardware like cameras in vehicle. Usually these cameras are used for monitoring whether the driver is paying attention to the road. But there is a law in the state of Illinois that says you have to get written consent if you scan a person's face in a simplified way. So a lot of companies have been sued over this law, including companies like Facebook and Snapchat. And now, now we're seeing many cases involving uh, suppliers of these um, in-vehicle cameras. So um, that's another type of of the cases in in the privacy area. That's great, Shuan. I think there's a really interesting point you're making there, not only about the variety of cases and concerns that are coming through, but also the fact that this is happening at a time where consumers are very aware of, or increasingly aware, perhaps we should say, about how their data is collected and used and increasingly concerned about that. And as you point out from the experiences of consumers and users of social media and how that now is, that awareness is feeding into the development of connected and automated vehicles. And, and that sort of leads us nicely into our third question, which is about the development of regulation and legislation to oversee automated vehicles. So what's the latest there? Yeah, sure. So um, automated vehicles or autonomous vehicles, they, I, I, I would say in the US, um, this industry is probably more competitive than any other countries. I think the main problems, the AV companies or self-driving uh, car companies are facing here is that they can now put some cars on public roadways, but there are restrictions, which means they can't really expand or test or deploy uh, at a large scale. So what they want is to have a national regulatory framework that explicitly says that they can do that. So that's one thing they're asking for. In the past maybe five years, there have been several attempts to enact a federal level law, but all of those have failed. But the, the industry is still working uh, really hard on that. And we're now in March but this year, several as uh, in, in the new Congress, several lawmakers who have been supporting the AV industry have already said they will keep doing this and they, they want to get it done this year. But that remains to be seen. And another interesting point that the, you hear from the lawmakers now this year is that they 
are quite often citing uh, the competition from China, saying such a regulatory framework is absolutely critical for for American companies to compete with with other countries. When it comes to China, there are quite a few Chinese companies, Chinese AV companies that are doing testing here in, in, in actually in California. And some of the lawmakers are also worried whether uh, they're getting a lot of data about America. And domestically in China, these companies are also expanding as well. And I think on local level, quite a few uh, cities in China, such as Beijing, uh, Shenzhen and Shanghai, they are rolling out regulations to support companies to do testing. But on the central government level, for example, the Ministry of Transportation and another regulator that oversees internet and communication sectors, they're all doing or considering uh, regulations in this area and asking for, for opinions. That's what kind of make American companies feel a bit threatened. So, so they're really I think they're step, stepping up the efforts on, on that. Um, but aside from uh, the national framework, the, the industry is also pushing legislation on state levels. So you see a lot of proposed legislation or bills in states that look quite similar. They are both usually supported by, by the industry. But you know, as with any new technology, there is naturally resistance in this area. Um, and here in the U.S., it's probably a, an example of what will happen or what's happening in other places too, um, is that usually you see this kind of legislation attracts a lot of opposition from people who are critical of the technology, who, who think they're not safe enough, and also labor groups because this technology will eventually, uh, I think the ultimate vision is to remove drivers. So particularly truck drivers here, they feel very threatened by the technology. And, and they're also pushing uh, their own legislation to, to, to basically require all these companies to put a human driver uh, in, in the car, even it's, it's driving itself. Um, so so that, those are all the kind of um, uh, uh, contention that you see in the legislative process. And I think it's kind of, it, it also reflects what um, people will see on a federal level when when these bills are eventually being discussed. Shuan, this is a great introduction to your report and all of the regulatory tensions that you're looking at. Thanks so much for speaking with me today. Thank you, Laurel. That was Shuan, our senior correspondent with MLEX, who works on future mobility from our offices in San Francisco. And you'll be able to find a link to the special report at our website, mlexmarketinsight.com. That's M-L-E-X, marketinsight.com. Still to come on the podcast, I'll be discussing with my colleague Jakob Krupa the different regulatory approaches to automated vehicles around the world, as well as the impact of changing transport production on trade. You're listening to a special edition of our MLEX podcast to mark the publication of our latest report on future mobility. I'm Laurel Henning. And don't forget that you can subscribe to MLEX Podcasts on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify and Stitcher. Now, connected and automated vehicles look set to not only revolutionise our daily lives, but also auto markets. Developing technologies for vehicles are set to impact the well-established debates between car makers and independent aftermarket providers, as well as see big tech companies play a growing role in this new section of the vehicle market. 
There are different approaches to automated vehicles around the world, and the growing industry is also impacting global trade, all against a backdrop of increased privacy concerns among consumer advocates. To discuss these issues, I'm joined now by our London-based senior correspondent, Jakob Kruper. Jakob, firstly, Shuan just mentioned there the way in which those who are concerned by the data collection of connected cars refer to them as smartphones on wheels. It's a term we use in the title of the report, but it comes with some controversy too. Why is that? Yeah, so there's a reason why we use that in quotation marks, because I think car makers particularly find it reductive and insulting to their engineering skill. They they say, you know, <laughs> a vehicle is not a smartphone on wheels. They always say that the, you know, a smartphone is something you can turn off and turn on again if something goes wrong with the vehicle. You can't necessarily do that. And obviously, it's not meant to generate, process, share and receive data as a primary kind of use. It's meant to take you places so in, in that sense it's very difficult but obviously in the last you know 10 years what we've seen um, and what we are reporting on as well on MLEX, um is that there's so many new data functions that necessarily completely change the way we do it so th- I think there is something to be said about the amount of data collected that can say so much about our lives for, for good or worse that can help with convenience but also you know people have surveillance fears or privacy fears whatever you call, we call it and when you think about just two case, use cases very briefly you know usage-based insurance and road pricing back in the day you know when you think about yourself driving and and, and you know moving around you'd only have your pas- passengers thinking about oh he or she's a terrible driver or he, he or she's a, he's a great <coughs> driver now your car thinks that about yourself uh it, it looks at whatever you're doing and thinking like okay you know he's not sticking to the lanes properly he's braking very late this is not necessarily a great thing and and then it kind of feeds that to insurance company and they say, you know, you're a terrible driver, you're going to pay more. And now, theoretically, th- this is a good thing for all of us because it makes it easier to then claim you know, insurance whenever something happens. It makes it easier to manage the whole situation. But it's just, it's just very, very different. And I think in that sense, the whole, the whole um, revolution of the last 10 years that we are writing about in the report is something that you know, needs, to, needs to be accounted for, needs to be properly thought through because as with smartphones, we've seen there was a lot of enthusiasm originally about uh, the way we use smartphones and then people you know, walk up to some of the problems with that. I think we are trying, what we are trying to do at MLEX now is report on all of these issues and, and how regulators see them in particular, obviously, from the very start. I think with that insurance point, it's certainly giving a new layer to the term backseat driver, isn't it? Absolutely, yes. And I think um, that was something that sort of came up with Shuan as well, of course, was that, you know, we're coming into this technology having had decades of experience now with smartphones. So as you say, we started with smartphones with this huge amount of enthusiasm and now a little bit of wariness. So I guess that changes the attitude with which we approach this new technology. I think the conversation is much more mature straight away. When we think about, you know, again, or, or the insurance thing or road pricing, which essentially tracks the way you use, you move around the city or around whatever, um, and, and, you know, looks at how it can price your journey to make sure, you know, you pay your dues in terms of emissions or traffic or whatever, and can encourage you to switch to public transport as a way of encouraging more environmentally friendly way of commuting. Uh, again, that sort of use of data is something we theoretically, in principle, agree with. We think it's a good thing. We want a cleaner environment. We want a cleaner world around us. But a lot of people will look at it and, you know, Facebook knows so much more about me. Do I really want my car to know so much about me as well? But then, you know, you have to look at these two together. There's a lawmaker in the UK Parliament who said, essentially, you know, if you don't want all your data being collected, just throw your smartphone out, not, not, not complain about your car, because it's just... It's just so linked. And I think this conversation is very different now. And I think that's why 
the whole discussion about all the implications for privacy, for example, that we talk about in the report. Uh, yeah, the conversation is much more mature with cars because mm-hmm. we just know we just know what's possible. You've mentioned Jakob the way that the world has just changed so much um, in the time that you know sort of the difference in traditional car technology and and where we are now. But um, let's dig a little deeper there into the multiple ways in which connected cars can revolutionise our lives, but also auto markets as well. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so the, there's a number of things there that I think are really interesting, and we write about a lot to them, like. So one thing is competition. Traditionally, you'd buy a car from a car maker and then you'd service it with an independent aftermarket provider and, you know, do all sorts of stuff elsewhere. Now, if you have connected cars, your car can be instructed to tell your car maker first that you have a problem with your brake or you have a problem with your tyre. Now, that obviously changes the way all the independent aftermarket providers work. They say, you know, if we don't have access to the same data at the same time, how are we supposed to help you with this? And obviously, we'll be out of the business soon. You have a growing role of major big tech players, your Googles, your Apples, um, looking at you know how we can use all of that data from, from your cars. And that's not necessarily just tracking of things or you know the, the things we spoke about earlier, but also voice recognition technology. Now, there's a strong argument. It's safer for everyone if you don't touch things on your, on your, on your car's touchscreen when you're driving, but just say, hey, Google, can you take me to the nearest petrol station? But... A, that's a lot of data for Google. B, will it take you to the petrol station you want to go? Will it take you to the petrol station it wants you to go because it has a commercial <laughs> relationship with someone? So, so again, loads of things there. And even when you think about innovation, you know, one of the really bizarre for me use cases I've heard from someone uh, involved in this was that car makers are looking at delivery straight to the boot of your car. So essentially, instead of being at home, and you know, your Amazon driver or your delivery driver rocking up with a parcel and you're not there and you're annoyed with that, they can just drop it into your car and just leave it there for you because your car is there. Wherever you, know, wherever you are, the car, your car is there, obviously, and, you know, if you have a car. But these sort of in- innovative services, again, is something that we are looking at because of connected cars, because of the fact that they are connected to all sorts of platforms. You can just tap and you know, get into the, your car. Now, we mentioned privacy as well. Again, there's an extent to which we are willing to accept trade-offs between privacy surveillance and comfort. You may be okay with your car knowing that you, you know your favorite coffee is latte with you know caramel or whatever. <laughs> you may not necessarily be that comfortable with your car sending to Google all private addresses you visited over the last week. Um, <laughs> so again, lots of issues there that we're thinking, and we just need to figure out the right balance. And finally, obviously, with trade, and I think that's a kind of bigger kind of geopolitical story that we write about as well. With subsidies, with all sorts of rivalry between US, China, Europe, um, there's something to be said about how we support the automotive industry as they change. You know, this is the biggest change they can think of in a century. So I think it's very interesting to see how we are, from kind of industrial point of view, but also like merging, you know, millions of people employed by the industry. How do we navigate all of that? And what what are the sort of consequences for trade and for the way we deal between different economies? So I guess the obvious response there is, regulatory approaches so let's let's dig into that for a bit how do we compare regulatory approaches to automated vehicles in europe and in the us they're quite different and and why is that yeah so obviously the regulatory response to all of this is very much emerging Uh, and it's it's both in kind of connected cars and the way we use that data and again different kind of thresholds of what is acceptable as a privacy risk but also in terms of automated vehicles and again a very different threshold of what is acceptable 
uh, as a risk. Uh, so US is very much ahead, uh, and Shimon obviously has been talking about it. Well, Europe, for example, is much more cautious, with partially due to significantly lower accident rates. So the attraction of the self-driving tech is a bit weaker because, you know, the situation here is essentially much better in terms of, like, you know, safety on the roads. The EU, for example, has some new technical rules adopted last year. Some countries have their own frameworks, but it's all progressing very slowly, mostly in trials, mostly in, like, very limited circumstances. You, you would not find a full-on robotaxi, you know, traveling around the, the roads of any major European city. And I think we'll not see that for, for at least some time. But you do have, like, for example, shuttle solutions. Think about Stagecoach Bus in Scotland, which is going you know, on a predefined route, picking up people with a safety control driver. But this kind of this kind of stuff is happening, and I think we'll be seeing more of that. But there's a particularly interesting discussion for me in the UK, because, uh, and obviously I'm biased because I'm based in the UK, but, um, <laughs> b- but you know, there's something to be said about how, how easy it is to navigate in a ma- major, like, US city and in, like, rural UK, where, you know, you're not navigating simple, broad, multi-lane, well-lit roads, but you're going in a single-lane, long and winding roads with a Reminding me century, of learning to drive. <laughs> yeah, with a 15th century stone bridge on the way yeah. and, like, a couple of, you know, things that don't make any sense. And obviously, you know, you can navigate that, I can navigate that, but an automated driver in, in your vehicle we'll look at it and be like, what is going on? So so I think there's a, there's a bit of work on technology there to properly sort that out. But one other thing is remote driving. And again, there's lots of appetite for that. You know, people sat somewhere else and driving it. But, you know, anyone who's ever played an online computer game knows that there are lags and like delays when you're playing. And, mm. you know, it's, it's not a problem if there's a delay when I play FIFA on my PlayStation. There's a problem if there's a delay <laughs> if I'm driving a massive vehicle. So... <laughs> All of that, all of that needs to be sorted out by regulators, and I think they're they're looking at it, and I think that's what makes this brief so fascinating. Okay, that's brilliant. Finally, there's obviously a trade element at play here, and Shuan mentioned the Inflation Reduction Act. So, can you tell us about the impact, Jakob, of automated and connected cars of this a huge sea change in transport production on trade? Yeah, so the US Inflation Reduction Act, the EU's response to that, Chinese policies, in, which are kind of similar. That, that's all of the kind of stuff that you'd not, not natu- naturally say, you know, it's part of the future mobility brief because it's just pure trade. But because of the way the whole industry changes, it's, as I mentioned, it's once in a lifetime, once in a century, change the way it's everything gets produced. You know, the electric vehicles are very different to produce. They require different stuff. They require uh, you know, different semiconductors, raw materials, access to all of that in a timely manner in much higher numbers than before. Um, I think that changes a bit the dynamic, and particularly in Europe, the discussion is, you know, we've developed very strong supply chains over the last 100 years, making us a very, you know, putting us in a very good position to produce cars. Now we are kind of giving that out to the Chinese because lots of stuff that we need comes from China. Now, how do we navigate that? And obviously both China and the US now under Biden, they're quite willing to give billions of dollars and uh, you know pounds um to, to everyone to say come here can produce things here but then uh, obviously the kind of you know, europe and others are looking at other than feeling like hang on a second there's a reason why our, our automotive industry has been good for, for, for the last whatever decades we want to keep it that way so we're looking at how this whole discussion about the future of mobility um changes with 
all sorts of different trade instruments. And I think I think there will be something interesting about it because the EU is obviously now planning to adopt a, a big response to all of that. There's diplomatic spat between what you'd normally think as you know traditional trade allies. Lots and lots and lots of stuff to cover for us. So on top of connected automated vehicles, there's a bit of politics as well. But then I guess with most of these things and most of regulatory problems these days, there is a bit of politics always involved. So we are trying to track it in an as unpolitical way as we can. But I think we can't, we can't just uh, completely avoid that. Jakob, in this whistle-stop podcast conversation, I think you've made it really clear to our listeners of all the plethora, the myriad issues at play here with future mobility and uh, just a taste of what's available in the special report that you and Shuan have worked on. Thank you so much for talking with me today. It's been great. Thank you. Enjoy reading the report. That was Jakob Kruper, our London-based senior correspondent for Future Mobility. And let me remind you again that the Future Mobility Report is ready for you to download. Just head to our website, mlexmarketinsight.com, that's M-L-E-X marketinsight.com, and click on the dedicated banner for the report at the top of the page. If you've enjoyed this and other podcasts from MLEX on topics as various as global financial crime, big tech legal battles, or new merger law developments from around the world, please do pass them along to someone you know. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast. It helps other people find us. Today's programme was presented by me, Laurel Henning. It was produced and edited by MLEX's senior editor for Asia-Pacific, James Panicki, and appeared online thanks to our London-based marketing team. The podcast executive producer is Richard Thompson. From everyone here at MLEX and LexisNexis, thanks for listening. Listener.